Welcome, everybody, to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history, and a writer on the Segunda Caeta blog. And I am pleased to be joined uh, by one of my all-time favorite professional wrestlers. I don't think this guy needs much of an introduction. Everybody who's listening to this pod knows who he is. Dustin Rhodes, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, man. Thank you for having me, Phil. What's up? Uh, so we're here. We're going to talk about uh, you're in a bunch of matches in my book, but today we're going to talk yeah. talk about the match you had with your brother Cody, uh, AEW Double or Nothing, May twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. Uh, so awesome. one of my favorite matches of this uh, of the last decade for sure, and oh, yeah. I, I think uh, a real sort of moment like a renaissance moment for your career uh so let's talk a little about sort of the setup of this you had been in the uh wwe for seven or eight years before this match well you know i don't count my times that i've come back and all that stuff i think i was with wwe for like 24 years or something (laughs) off and on you know right this was my longest so yes yeah, it was it, it, interesting that, you know, you had all of these sort of different periods of your career that, you know, your start, uh, I guess not your start, you started in Florida and, and Memphis, but you're, you're the first big run in WCW, which of course is super memorable. Then, you know, your run is yeah. gold dust and then back and forth in the, in the WWE for a lot of different years. And then sort of this sure. last run. And how did this, how did you end up? transitioning from WWE to the start of AEW? Well, you know, I mean, I think uh, when I, once I left, I'd done everything that I wanted to do in WWE and I was pretty tired and wanted out and got out, you know, it was, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a story that, you know, we can say for another time, but getting out of there, man, was such a like breath of fresh air. And, you know, watching the things that Cody and Tony and the Young Bucks, Kenny, were putting together, missing the first all-in was uh, truly something I regret. Uh, I was not able to go, though, because I was told I cannot go by WWE, which really sucked, Um, because I wanted to be there for my brother. And me and my brother have a 16-year difference, right? So... At the beginning, you know, when he was growing up a little bit, we were a little bit closer. I was around a lot, but then I, you know, got really busy and things with my father. We had a little falling out and things like that, but we got back together. But I was kind of out of Cody's life for like five, six years, and I regret that. Um, And then we had that tremendous run in WWE with uh, the tag team titles with Shield and all that, you know, and it went on with the Usos, with you know, so many great tag teams and just had a really fun time with, with Cody and he got out before I did. And then finally I get out and I see the things that's, that, that are going on with, uh, with AEW being started up and, and all. And, you know, man, I just, I thought I was done to be honest with you. I really thought I was done that, you know, I was so depleted, uh, emotionally, you know, just that my passion was, was gone completely. It, it drained everything that I had up there, man. Every creative bone in my body was like, it, it, it left me. And I thought genuinely that I was gone. And, you know, then I'm sitting at home for the, whatever it is, the 90 day, uh, non-compete clause. Right. And I'm just chomping at the bit to keep thinking of what I can do to go out there because let's be honest, man, I've been a pro wrestler my whole life. And, you know, I was, I was weighing options. Do I go back to college? Do I do this? Do I do that? What, you know, I can do anything I want. And it's just like, but, you know, I've also been dabbling in acting and really want to make an impact in the acting world. Even my age, man. I mean, like Morgan Freeman, he didn't get his start till like the late forties. And, you know, so that's okay. And he's still going strong today and you can, you can still make it. So I'm really trying that self reads and self tapes and, and auditions and things like that. And I've had a few movies. Uh, one that I'm really proud of, Copper Bill. And it's a start, you know, and it, all it takes is that one for somebody to say, hey, man, let's put him in Dune. Let's put him in, you know, a Marvel movie or something. But I like to act. I'm not, 
and I don't want to like uh, throw away the action star type status or whatever, but I really like to genuinely act because that's all I've been doing my whole life, and I think I'm good at it. Um, right, performance is performance, right? I mean, they, you know, there's a, a lot of similarities to the kind of things that you would do as a professional wrestler and the kind of things that people would do as an actor. There is. And in the acting world, I mean, improv is very tough for actors, from what I understand. And that's all we do. We are improv actors, right? So we have a leg up. And it's, it's, it's easy because I can just like have a conversation with you and then we can go off and we can have this scene of just playing off of each other. And that's what I really learned. It was like with Booker T. Me and Booker T started that, you know, and we were very scripted. But our stuff wasn't because we just kind of, we played off of each other and we had that chemistry and when you have a chemistry with somebody that's when the magic happens and it's, it's pretty impressive and it's, it's a lot of fun when it does happen and it doesn't happen often and uh, it did with me you know several times so i know that i have that in me to become a good actor or, or what have you but you know in the, the back of my mind the other thing is hey man pro wrestling's been my life so i love it but i just had lost my passion for it a little bit and I put together this video of, I painted a, a mannequin head as the gold dust face paint, right? I, I put together this nice little video. My daughter, who's really good at editing, she went to college, she got her degree in television and film production and stuff like that. And she put some music behind it and it was very sad and, and moving. And, you know, it was basically, and I bought some uh, antique trunk from Facebook, right? Some Facebook uh, marketplace. I bought an antique trunk and I had this vision of, okay, I'm putting this character away. And I, you know, did the video and I looked at this mannequin's head, you know, it was very uh, emotional and, and moving. And I, I lay it in the chest and I have a couple other items of the gold dust character in there and I closed the door and it just got a lot of hits, man. It was like that. I released that on the 90 day. As soon as the 90 days was, were up, I released that. And in the meantime, to go back just a little bit, two weeks before that, they had given me a call, Cody, right? And Tony, and they said, hey, man, would you like to be in this double or nothing uh, pay-per-view and wrestle your brother? And, you know, I said, Absolutely. But to be honest with you, I thought my wrestling career was over. I did, and I questioned myself. I questioned myself big time. Can I still go and give Cody the type of match that he deserves? And, you know, um, is this going to do anything for me? I mean, because they build it as, you know, one last ride. And they, well, it was a little before two weeks, sorry. Um, it was probably like a month before they had offered me that, right? And they were very scared that, the 90 day they were going to try to hold me and I wouldn't be able to get into this pay-per-view, but I agreed to this, right? Not knowing really what to expect because AEW is a different crowd base, a different fan base. So they came out to my home. We shot a video, just the, you know, the little vignette cause we did two vignettes. Cody did a promo and I did this little vignette of me walking on the ranch and sitting down and, and uh, just a little kind of a shoot promo type situation. And once that 90 day hit, I hit the gold dust, uh, you know, leaves us or whatever trunk thing. And he got, it got hits like crazy, like thousands. It was very shocking to me just how important to the world of the, the wrestling fan base made me feel. And it, it felt like, wow, you know, they, they actually care because it was really a, um, it was, uh, it hit hard, right? So it hit the it hit the fan base hard, and yeah. and shortly after that, I think the same day in the evening, I put out the next uh, promo, you know, the first uh, promo from from uh, my stuff with Double or Nothing. So it was like a double shock day, man. They had no idea, the world had no idea that oh, okay, I'm going to face my brother. But to go back for like five years before this, Phil, I had fought so hard every single year to get to work my brother at WrestleMania, you know, the show and point blank. Vince would always tell me this is, this match is not good enough to be on WrestleMania. That pissed me off. It pissed me off bad. And it was very, it, it was hurtful and it did something to me and it really depleted every, every ounce of passion that I had, man. I fought for it every single year. Cody too. 
we both fought for it every year. So to get offered this with Cody and Tony Khan to, you know, this new fan base and this upstart start company, AEW, on this uh, on this pay-per-view. And I watched the All-In, you know, on pay-per-view at home. But, you know, I wanted to be there. But it's like, okay, here we go. Double or nothing. Bam. Cody puts out his promo. You got these two promos. Mine and his, they get huge hits. Huge, man. It was like the world just caught a fire right there with, with me. And, you know, still... I got excited, right? I'm not. I'm like the, the little kid in the candy store. And I'm very excited about this, but not confident at all. Very like lost in my confidence and passion, like I said, and very ability to you know step in the ring with my brother and deliver a very explosive match for him, right? Because it had been about five years, four or five years since the stuff with the shield, right? Which was the last time I think you were in the really put in the opportunity to have a, a real showcase match, right? I mean, most of your time that last like three or four years, you'd show up on TV once every couple months on 205 live and, you know, still doing really fun stuff. But this was, a, a you know, it had been a long time since you had been in the opportunity to have like, this is a match that's going to be, you know, second from the top, one of the big main event matches. Uh, so it must've yeah. been like, like, wow, yeah. this is, it's been a while since I've done this. Obviously I've got a history in it, but, um, it had to be a little nerve wracking to be like the guy saying, all right, you're not, you're not going to be working a six minute TV match on, you know, two Oh five live. You're going to be in the, one of the, you know, signature matches of this pay-per-view. Yes. And you know, that, that scared me. That scared me a little bit because we were like, okay, we're going to wrestle 25 minutes. There's no doubt that I can do that, but it's like I just turned 50 years old. And it's like I hadn't had competed at that level in about five years, right? So it's it's very scary. And we get all this set up, right? And the, the, the promos go out and everything, and, and it's getting closer. And I'm training like a madman in the gym trying to get my cardio up the best I can, really dropping weight, eating right, you know, eating clean, doing the things that, that uh, it takes to, to be a, you know, superstar, right, and to be a champion, and was really nailing everything, and we got to Vegas. We get to Vegas, and I'm just, I'm going to the gym, I'm trying to stay focused, trying to stay out of my head, because that's a dangerous place when I live in there, and it's, uh, I needed to stay out of there, man. You know, being clean and sober for 13 years, you have a lot of things in your and issues in your head. And so I was just really trying to stay focused for this match. And at this point, you know, the day before I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go out there and we're just going to, we're going to kill it. We're just going to have a classic. And I wasn't worried anymore. I was nervous, but I wasn't worried anymore. And it's, everybody made me feel welcome. Everybody made me feel like this was a, a really, really cool place to be. And everybody was just overly gracious that, that I stepped up and, and was doing this. And I remember the night before, uh, we go over to the MGM and I'm just going through some entrances and things like that and looking at the building, not really realizing what an impact I'm about to make on the world and especially my career at 50 years old. And, you know, in the back, you know, in the locker rooms and things, there's this hall and it has this nice little backdrop of the MGM. So I took a photo in front of it and I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, wow, I'm fixing to, to wrestle in the MGM arena against my brother. And, you know, it, it just sunk in. It sunk in right there that night. How important of an opportunity this was for me. And that I needed to do everything in my power to put on the best possible show that I could. And I knew I would. I knew I would. But there was still a thought that how are these, this fan base going to, how are they going to react to me? How are they going to take Dustin Rose, the natural? They've been used to gold dust for so, so long. I hadn't done the natural Dustin Rose in a long, long time, you know, early 90s. And it's, I was scared. I was really scared. So fast forward to the next day, get there to the arena, right? There's catering. We're walking around. I'm talking with Tony. I'm talking with everybody. I finally get dressed, you know, and it's, I'm watching the show and I'm nervous as shit and I'm going crazy, but I think we have a good plan. And 
it gets time for my match, right? So I'm at my entrance and I am sweating bullets. I'm just like, I'm hot. I'm, I'm focused. I'm in shape as much as I think at that point I could be. Um, I'm ready to go, but Cody goes out first and I listen to the eruption of the crowd and I hear him, you know, and I can see him right through my entrance a little bit where they can't see me, but he, where he crashed the throne with the sledgehammer and it was a big fuck you to triple H, you know, and it was very cool. And he goes to the ring and my music hit and I put my music together and, uh, we've switched it or we've changed it, you know, over the year here just to make it a little more, um, to where it's not trademarky stuff with, cause I have a little green day in there and we had to switch just a couple of lyrics or, or tones or whatever it is, whatever the music lingo talk is. And my music hit and the place erupted. And I was like, Holy shit. Okay. All right, just breathe, Dustin. Now, I always tell my students and I always tell everybody else, you know, in the business when they're nervous as hell, that it just, it means you give a shit. You give a shit, right? And although my passion, I have not found quite yet, and I'm about to, but I was still very nervous, but wasn't overly nervous where it was a bad thing. And I walk up those steps and I walk out the tunnel and the place was just there. And it was the most incredible feeling that, I mean, I can't describe it, except it was just, it, it was very emotional. And, you know, inside my, my stomach's doing somersaults, <coughs> excuse me, and I walk down the ramp and they're just happy that I'm there, that I'm free from the prison that was WWE. And I say it all the time because it is, it, it's a, it's a, an incredibly locked down place, you know, and I'm walking down this ramp. They're responding. I'm looking at Cody is in the corner with Brandy. He's focused. I know he is. We have a good plan. I get in the ring, you know, the bell rings and they're chanting like crazy. And I point out for some reason, I just felt the presence. I felt our father's presence. And I talk about this and I've talked about it on some, some other podcasts. Um, it's very emotional, very, very emotional. And I pointed up and they all just in unison were just chanting dad's name. And it was like he was in the building and at that point, And I'll explain this to you at that point. Uh, it, have you seen the movie, the legend of Bagger Vance? Sure. Okay, not I'm sure not the youngsters of today have seen this movie, but I will describe it as uh, Will Will Smith is a caddy, and you know Matt Damon is the golfer, and Will Smith is hired to get him in the zone, basically in short, and he gets him in the zone in in the sense that when he's at the the tee box and he's looking down at the green, and I'll tell the fans this. And there's a gallery on both sides and around the green, all the way down the fairways. He gets in the zone and the pen comes closer. It just kind of travels a little bit closer. And every one of the fans, they disappear. And he sees the pen so clearly. And he, he gets in the zone right then, right? So that was Will Smith's, what he taught or taught Matt Damon how to do this. And as soon as they were chanting Dusty, right? And I'm looking around at the crowd and just like freaking out. This is awesome. This is crazy. At that moment, right there, I looked at Cody and then I looked past him and every one of the fans, they disappeared. It was very, very, um, it's strong. It's really, really strong. The feeling I felt I could see them, but I couldn't see them. I could hear them, but I couldn't, you know, and it was laser focus, laser focus on the job that had to be done right then, right there with Cody, my brother, my dad, up, you know, sitting in the rafters, watching us down below the bell rang. We got after it and I can, you know, I'm listening to the fans because it's a big part of me that I've learned over the years to tell the story, man. I'm, I'm quite the storyteller because I listen to the fans and there's moments that you have to take 
and you don't go through 15 million moves and then a moment. You go through a move and you have a moment with the fans and you let them respond. You let them take it in and breathe. And that's, to me, what stands out a main event star from a, say, a mid-carder, right? And not, not that that's a bad thing. You know, there's a place for everybody on the card, but to be a main event star, you have to slow down. You have to slow everything down. And you have to make everything mean something. And every single thing that Cody and I did in that ring, there were moments, very tense, emotional moments. The crowd and the people at home, the 18,000 there and, and the, the fans at home were 110% invested in this story. And that's where the magic happens. And we have our match. And it's an incredible match, right? And it doesn't matter. We could have messed up three or four things in that match. It would not have mattered. It was that magical night. The people were there. They were invested. They were being told a, a wonderful story and a wonderful ending and it was just incredible man people on their feet people on their feet grown men crying right people at home crying i mean and the whole next day the twitter's like i'm not crying you're crying right it was like the hashtag for a couple of days and it's it was the most incredible feeling i've had yet in the wrestling business in my 33 years of being in the business the most incredible night of my life. And at the end of that promo that Cody spit at me, you know, when he came back in the ring, when I was about to say, Hey, this was one last ride and I'm taking off my boots. I can't do anything better than that. Right. And he comes in and he offers me to be his partner for the next uh, pay-per-view or what. And from that moment, I found my passion again. And it was I'm looking around at the crowd and I'm, I've lost like probably three pints of blood. Who knows? It was so excessive. <laughs> it, was, it was disgustingly excessive. Right. And I'm dizzy and my stomach's hurting cause I'm about to throw up cause I've swallowed so much blood. I've lost so much blood and I'm looking at these people and I see them through the, the blood and it's blurry, but I can see their faces and you, you, you know, it's like, I compare it to somebody who is a non-believer that's just there with their children and they're sitting on the front row. The children are happy to be there. The parent, uh, the man or the woman, they hate it. They're just there for their kids. But at the end, you've worked them into a frenzy and they're on their feet and they're crying or they're happy or they're mad or whatever. You're making them feel something. And everybody in that building, everybody at home, they felt what Cody and I were going through. And it was the most wonderful night of my life, man. And it's like, there's, I cannot top that. I can have some great moments left in the business, but I thought I was done. And I found my passion again. And I found that, hey man, I can do this at 50 years old. Maybe not on a full time every single night, but I can do this. And Tony has really taken care of me and treats me like an attraction here. And I really appreciate that. He makes me feel like I'm worth something. And that is the one good thing that I've taken away about being with AEW is that it's an incredible feeling to be here because he makes you feel worth it. He makes you feel like a legend, right? He makes you feel like you are good enough to be in there with the world champion or whatever. And, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. So I found my passion anyways. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about the, you know trying to have this match at WrestleMania, but you wouldn't have – I don't think there would have been a scenario where you've had an opportunity to do this at WrestleMania, right? It, you know, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to build the story, to have this kind of emotional match. You know, if you had it, you know, seventh from the top on a WrestleMania show, it was four and a half hours long. You know what I mean? Like this is – in some ways it was kind of – uh, a blessing in disguise that you got to have a chance to have this opportunity to do it on like a main event stage. Cause it's a story that needed that stage to tell it, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
I know we probably went over our time, but it, you know, when it's magical like that, you just, you have to let it go. And thank God that wasn't on a television where we had to go to commercial. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. A WrestleMania is not, you're not going to get that unless you're in the main event, you know, like the, the, you know, Roman Reigns or something like that, where you can truly, but that's when the stories matter, right? Or are in the main event. And I felt main event worthy. And it was just, it was something else, man. And I haven't felt that ever. And it was, I've had some moments in pro wrestling and that to me. And I know Cody, he's like, he puts a lot of things in front of this match and it's okay. I get it. But to me, that was the greatest night of my life. And I found my passion, man. So we, you know, the name of this pod is Way of the Blade. It's a, a pod about blood. It's a book about blood. You mentioned the amount of blood that you lost that match. I think in my book, I described it looking like a strawberry Fanta was coming out of a soda fountain. Um, how You had probably blood in a wrestling ring. When was last? Do you remember the last time before this match? Because it had to have been almost a decade, right? Or more than that. I mean, w, we didn't do that in WWE unless you got busted open by the corner of the post or something for real. You know what I mean? It was uh, a hard way uh, bleeding. Um, it's been, it had been a long time. I was out of practice. Let's, let's put it like that. And I went deep. I hit a vein. And it was, uh, it was excessive. And I was actually scared at one point. And Cody looked at me and said, do we need to, are, are you okay? Do we go? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. But I'm looking down and I look at some pictures from some of the photographers that took some shots and it is, they've caught it in midstream where the the thing is shooting out and it's dripping out of my head and it's constant. It did not stop and it would not stop. And I'm like, holy shit. At one point when I gave Cody a top rope superplex, we almost fell. We almost fell and it was because I'm dizzy and it was slippery up there. And it, it was like, we got to go now. If I would have waited another second, we, I would have superplexed him onto the rope, right? So we would have landed kind of diagonal on the ropes, and it wouldn't have been good. It might have been. It might have created some some problems. Right. I imagine uh, that doing that kind of thing, and you do a code red in this match too, with your covered in blood. That kind of stuff uh, must be really tricky to do when you've got like you know blood in your eyes, and you're losing. Uh, you know, you're starting to get a little lightheaded. Uh, you know, you, it's funny, kind of late in your career, you started to add a lot more sort of more complicated moves, right? You started doing like code reds and dives and things like that in your 40s. You weren't necessarily doing that when you were 25, um, which is kind of an interesting thing about your work. And you must have thought, oh, man, am I going to be able to pull this stuff off with blood, you know, covering my eyes? Because, I mean, I, I, one of the things I like to do is kind of look at the match while we're talking. I'm watching it right now. And, man, oh, man, you are absolutely saturated. Oh, it was. The whole match, I was like, you can't cling that. I get it, throw it away. You know what I mean? It was so excessive. And you're right. But I looked I looked at today's. That's the one thing about me. I, I wanted to grow in my move uh, set and things like that. Now, pro wrestling and gin, you know, like serious pro wrestling, you don't need all those things and it's technical and you're just, you're keeping it ground on the ground. You're not going up top, but I wanted to expand because everybody else is growing. I didn't want to do too much because I can't do too much. The things that I could actually pull off, I wanted to do every once in a while to make the people go, holy shit, Dustin just hit a code red or he just hit a top rope, uh, Cross body. I'm like, he never goes to the top. What the hell? My God, this guy's. And then they go. Then they say, man, he's the best shape of his life. And it goes on. So it gives me a little more life for a little bit on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, then you hit a uh, a Canadian destroyer, and they're like, what the hell is going on, Dustin, doing a Canadian destroyer at 52 years old? Are you kidding? So it's like, you know, I do these things, I, I pick and choose when I'm going to do them, you know, when I, when I feel they're needed or what, but now the Canadian destroyer is so overused. And so I, I don't want to do those anymore. The code reds are good to hit out of uh, somewhere, but to me, my main thing is that power slam, man. It's like, it's the best in the business. Me and Randy Orton's are like top notch. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I would say that your power slams top five ever. I mean, I think, you know, Buzz Sawyer's up there. 
Dr. Death had a great one, but man, the snap that you have on that is so great where you just kind of, you go, you go, the thing I love about that move, the way you apply it is you just go so low. You're a, you know, very tall yeah. guy, but you're like almost, yeah. when you put it on, you're almost uh, horizontal with the ring. When you first put it on, you get so much snap. Um, I really know. Love, the, lo- love the power slam. One of my favorite, uh, Dustin Rhodes move. When did you? When did you sort of? Well, let's go back. When did you sort of pick up the power slam? Was that something that you had early in your career, or something you picked up a little later? I think I, you know I'd done it a couple times early in my career, but it was not like that. I, I'm not sure when I started doing that. Maybe 2010 or 2008 or right. somewhere around in there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't remember and, it being like a, you know, from the 92, 93, you know, uh, dust, you know, the first sort of peak of your career. That's one of the great things about you as, as a wrestler is you've had all these like peak peaks that go a bunch of different times. You got your early 90s peak, your late 90s peak. Now you've got a, another peak in 20, you know, 2019, 2021 uh, in your 50s. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the sort of, when you look at the sort of, uh, your career arc, you have these moments where you'll kind of show up and be like a, you know, oh, wow, Dustin Rhodes is back and is the best wrestler in the world, one of the best wrestlers in the world again. And it's been five years since we've seen him do it, and here he is again doing it. Uh, the longevity of your career is something really impressive. As somebody who's a, you know, a fan and a writer and all those kind of things, you kind of studied wrestling a lot in my life, and you kind of don't see as many people who have had that kind of arc where it's like, you know, they, you know you'll have all of these different peaks and some of the peaks will be 25 years apart. Well, you know, I, I contribute that a lot to it's in my blood and it truly, truly loved it is part of my life, the pro wrestling industry. And I love everything about it. Every a technical aspect of it, telling the stories. Those are really huge to me. And for just regular people, they get in the business and become a good pro wrestler. I can understand them getting out and, and, you know, maybe not liking as much as me, right? Or as much as somebody who was born into it. Because, you know, you look at the, you look at the, the sons of the famous wrestlers like Mr. Perfect, right? Or like Barry Wyndham, like me, like Cody, like, um, I mean, there's, there's a few that really stand out. And it's because we were kind of raised around it, I think. And, to be honest with you, our fathers were really good. And my father was not a great wrestler, right? He was, he had charisma though. He could, he could shake and and tell those stories with his face and bounce around. And the people felt that thing. Right. And Cody, uh, has a little bit of that. Right. But to me, I, I believe that I am the, the true wrestler out of the family, really good storyteller, really good worker. Um, could I be better? Hell yeah, I could. Do I regret anything? Absolutely not. None. Zero. I've had a hell of a career. And, you know, I just, I want to keep contributing as much as possible right before I retire. But, you know, I look at Sting right now and he's 62 and he's utilized a little bit, right? He's not utilized a lot. And that's, that's good. So I can do this, man. I know I can do this, but I don't want to be a Ric Flair to where I have to wrestle to pay my bills, right? I, I don't want that. I, I, I don't want to go abuse my body. You know, utilize me. And Tony's really good about that, taking good care of me. And I know that he will. And I believe in that. There's, uh, there's a trust issue that I, or a trust uh, thing that I have with Tony. He's been very good to me. So that's all I can ask for, man. And if he asks me to do something, I'm going to do it the best of my ability. And bring a rating, you know, because every time I've been on the TV, my ratings have been strong. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good with it. And, and whatever comes next is, is great, man. It's just as long as I can stay healthy, because let's, let's face it, my knees are hurting. My shoulders are hurting. I need replacements. And I put on little Band-Aids from time to time to get through. And I do a good job of it. And, and I take care of my body. And I try to stay in shape. And I'm always, always on the go in the gym. Because I truly do believe if you sit down and you just relax, it's going to catch up to you real quick and you're going to die. That's it. If you sit, you die. I believe in that. 
truly. So I've got to keep stepping. And that's where one of my logos come. My, my sayings, you know, keep stepping. Because if you stop, man, it's going to catch up to you and hit you in the face. So to me, and I learned that from dad. Dad told me that a lot. And this was, it stuck with me because he started saying, keep stepping, Dustin, when I got out of drug rehab and alcohol rehab. And from that day, you know, he just, um, he said that every day to me. So that is like my saying. And not a lot of people know that, but that's where I learned that, that uh, saying was keep stepping. And uh, I take it to heart. And, and, you know, 13 years of no alcohol, no drugs, no foreign uh, drug or anything in my system, that's saying something. And I, I do owe that to, you know, my grit and my hard work and my family, you know, being beside me and, and a good support system. And that's the only way I see is, is one way, and that's to keep going forward and get my body in the best shape as possible or stay in the best shape as possible so that I can perform at such a high level with these youngsters because, let's face it, they're getting faster and faster, and they need direction, and I'm there to slow them down. Yeah. And I'm their coach, too. And, that, listen. and that's an interesting thing. I think that is one of the differences between wrestling uh, you know, that I grew up watching um, you know, and wrestling now is it is much faster. And a lot of it, I, you know, and a lot of times you want to say to yourself, look, that move was incredible, but you got to take a, take a beat, take a breath, let everybody appreciate it. You don't need to immediately go on to the next one because then you don't remember, uh, the whole, the move before, right. Where it's like, you know, that's what I- and this match has got that- like, you know, four or five big moments. And the fact that you let each moment breathe a little bit is why I think it's so, uh, so memorable. That is important, man. When you're telling the story, do you want, and, and I tell every one of the kids this today and my students at my wrestling school, and this is the most important thing that I've ever heard. And it is, you know, they're not going to remember your moves. They won't remember what you say. What they will remember is how you make them feel. And that stuck with me a long time ago. And if I can make somebody feel something on the front row, I know everybody else is feeling it. Right? So yeah. you have to look for the moments instead of going, hey, man, I'm going to hit you with these five moves and I'm going to get right up. You're going to pile drive me and I'm going to jump up and not sell it. And I'm going to hit you with this. Let the people react. Let them react. Look at them. Listen to them. Give them some fire so they can get behind you. Make them feel it, man. When you make them feel it, it is a ma- that's when the magic happens. That's when the best storytelling and the psychology comes in. And it is a crazy thing, and it's not like anybody can do it, man. And that's that's what I'm trying to convey to these kids because they're incredibly talented, man. They're unbelievably talented. They just need direction on when to do things, when not to do things. Why not to do this move as opposed to this one? Why Why are you going 10 miles when you can go one? There's a shorter distance to it, you know, to get the same reaction, but... They like to look pretty. They right. like things to look pretty. That's great. It's impressive. But make it make sense, right? Make it make sense so that people can breathe and react to it and understand it. And that's, you know, one of my jobs as a coach, you know, doing this is to teach these guys how to react and get the people to feel something instead of just running over them so they can't breathe. You know, it's like, holy shit, that was a hell of a match. It was impressive, but who was legal? Who won? I don't, you know, you don't remember. It's not memorable. Yeah, it's like, you know, they they had 11 spots, which would be the craziest thing you've ever seen 15 years ago, but you forget a minute later because there was one right afterwards and one right afterwards and one right afterwards. You know, I think that's the, you know, I think that was one of the things, you know, the emotional aspect of it. I think of the great emotional moments in professional wrestling that I've been watching. And I think you're, you're, that was the thing you're, you know, that made your dad so iconic was he was as good as anyone ever in at conveying that emotion, right? Convey, making people feel when he's talking about hard times and he's talking about, right. uh, he's talking about, I mean, the, the, the famous promo with you about when, uh, when Arn Anderson turned on you, I, I'm sure you remember this. I mean, yeah. it, 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 you know, I, one of the great, one of the great, like, 
you know, mo- uh, emotional moments I can remember in any kind of storytelling ever, right? Movie, TV show, song, right? This idea of, uh, you know, he was a dad feeling like he let his son down and he's going to try to be there for him. And I think a lot of the beats in the match with Cody had a similar thing, right? There was a history between you two, and I don't know how much of that was was true or how much of that was embellished for the story, but you made it, you've conveyed that both before the match and afterwards, which is, you know, that's hard, right? It's hard to you make know, people feel emotional about something like professional wrestling, which is, you know, can be can be silly and, or can be extravagant or can be, uh, you know, bombastic. But, you know, making it emotional is a whole a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, and Cody, you know, there there were some things, you know, in his promo against me for the double or nothing. The one promo he did, the one that I did was so, that's all we needed, right? But it was like, there was a couple times in, in the promo that Cody nailed me with that it was like, it hit me. It struck a chord. And, you know, after it played, I called him. I said, man, did you mean this? What the fuck? What's going on, you know? It's like, hey, we need to, like, move on here. The people were ready for this match. That's another thing that, you know, we told two promos. We had two two little vignettes, two things. That's all it took to build this story because the story was already built, and they were ready for it, and I think the timing was right. It, it, it's, the timing was so perfect, right? So that night was just perfect to me. It was the most magical night because everything just fell into place, man. And they were ready for it. And they responded in kind. And it just set me off onto, you know, you know, he did retire the Attitude Era. And and I understand that now of, of the Goldust character. And, hey, come on back to the natural Dustin because you're better than that. And you can do this here in AEW. And you're offered this new lease on life. And that's what happened, you know. And, and it's like, boom. It's gone up from there, man. It's just like I am on cloud nine here in AEW. It's incredible. It's, what a wonderful place to work. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we talked about part of the reason I think that was so effective is we probably, is as wrestling fans, we had, what, 50 years of experience with the Rhodes family, right? I mean, you know, D- Dusty Rhodes was a part of my life when I was, when I was a, a you know, eight, nine-year-old kid, and, and you know, so you don't, I mean, I can't think of another situation where you have that much emotional investment in a story, right? You Maybe something, a movie like Godfather 3, which had been 15 years after the original Godfather, but it's that kind of thing, right? The Rhodes family had been in the lives of wrestling fans uh, for, yeah, for 30 plus years at that point. And we sort of all yeah. know, or maybe even, God, even longer than that, 40, 50 years, right? If you're talking about your dad started his career in the early 70s and the late 60s and then you started wrestling in what 1988 1989 88 yeah. 88 so you had already had you know um 20 plus or 30 almost 30 years yourself and we sort of everybody had sort of lived and died with the Rhodes family and having this as kind of the culmination of that 30 40 50 year saga having it as a in a wrestling match it's you know a unique thing that I think professional wrestling can do in a way that other sort of forms of storytelling can't. You don't can't have that kind of backstory, right? Even movies yeah. that you love, they aren't in your lives in the same way wrestlers that you love are. Absolutely. I, this has been great. I want to talk about hit a couple more things before I before I let you go. Again, we're talking about. Uh, this is a pod about bloody wrestling, a book about bloody wrestling. Do you remember your first blade job or your first bleeding in the ring? I do. Yeah. My first time, 1988, it was with, uh, do you remember Mark Starr? Sure. Uh, Yeah, he, he was there. It was Florida championship wrestling and we were in the sportatorium in in Tampa and they have a door that has bars on it. And, you know, we ran the little shows there at the sportatorium. They had the little bleachers around the ring. And my first time ever, I got thrown into the door, which opened up to, to fall outside. And I hit it there for the first time. 
And I don't really remember if it hurt or what or anything like that. I don't, I don't, it doesn't really hurt that much to me, you know, because I don't feel anything anymore in my head. It's so, like, hard. Um, I just remember it, man. It just, I remember the first time feeling really connected to pro wrestling because they looked at me. And look, I'm going to say it, man. Red on the head is green in the pocket. And I do believe that even today, when used properly, used properly now, not excessively, all the time, every single show, when it's used properly, it is a huge drawing tool. Uh, it brings in a lot of revenue and business for the following week or the next month or whatever it is. And it's used properly. It is, it is uh, really good for the company or any company in that matter. Um, and I do remember it. It was uh, fun. It was very fun. And I felt, I felt a connection to the fans for the first time, I believe. And I just remember it like it was yesterday. Mark Starr, me and him, boom, Florida Torium, 1988. Wow. Uh, that's... Or it might have been 89, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. So, so, so really earlier in your career, right? This was... Yes. Well, I guess being the son of Dusty Rhodes, who of course is like an icon of bloody wrestling, you would, you know, when I would go to DeLauer's newsstand in Oakland, California as a little kid, you'd look at the wrestling magazines and, you know, probably half of them would have pictures of uh, Dusty Rhodes and Ox Baker, Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk or Dusty Rhodes and Abdullah the Butcher. I mean, he was, you know, oh, yeah. one of the great, you know, even before I ever saw him wrestle, you, you knew him right. as a guy on the cover of a magazine covered in blood. Oh, yeah, man. He was on so many covers. You know, Superstar Billy Graham, there was a real famous one where he has a bull rope around his neck, right? And he's hanging him kind of from the ropes. That's my favorite cover of all time for, for the uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated match. Yeah, the super that was the Florida Superstar Billy Graham feud, right? Yeah, I think so. I, don't, I mean, it was, it was such an incredible, iconic shot. I've tried to duplicate those shots in my bull rope matches over the years a couple of times. Um, they're never going to be like that, right? You always try to get closer. You have a vision. And throwbacks are great to throw something back, you know, because everybody can see it when they're true wrestling fans and understand it when you tell that story. And Cody does that a lot. So does Tony. He likes to tell throwback stories, you know, and you give him a reference. He loves it because he's seen it all. That's the unique thing about Tony is that he's a pro wrestling fan and he's been a fan of wrestling for a long, long time and watched just about everything and knows so much. Like the other night, and I think it was like a couple of months ago, I'm sitting at Gorilla coaching one of my matches, right? And this is an important TV match that I'm trying to pay attention to. And he's sitting right next to me. He said, Dustin, you remember that time in 1992 and the match, and it was in Norfolk, Virginia, and you were in the middle and you did this spot. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Absolutely <laughs> not. On that. What, where did you get this? And then he pulled it up for me. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He said, will you do this the next match you go out, right? And I'm like, sure. And I'm trying to focus on my match that I'm coaching. But he'll just throw that the old stuff out, man, at me. And I don't remember, but he has such a mind for the the business and just remembers so much, right? I mean, my God, I've, I've, I've wrestled 20,000 times. I, I don't know. But it's amazing the knowledge that he has for our sport. And it's really cool. Yeah, well, you know, he was a, a guy, you know, on the message boards that I sort of helped run, you know, 20 odd years ago. He would, before he ever even got involved in wrestling, he was a guy who would post on the Death Valley Driver message board. And uh, so I, in some ways I feel like, all right, you know, we were some of the first people to really take like an obsessive look at things in that way, right? Like we're, we're going to get yeah. in there and, and write, you know, a thousand words or 1500 words on a wrestling match, 2000 words on a wrestling match and bring into all of those things. So in, I don't know, in some ways I think a tiny bit of his obsessiveness was, was, uh, um, uh, you know, grew a little bit on the things that we were doing back then. So I, I, uh, I, I, I believe it. Like he's what he's you know, the the one of us in a, a real way that you know, obviously people who, who uh, other promoters who are in wrestling to make money are in wrestling because that was what their dad did. It's it's a little different than being like an ex obsessive 
uh, fan in that way. It, it, good and bad, right? I mean, there's obviously things about, uh, you know, having it, uh, looking at things in a different way that are positive and looking at things in a different way that are negative, too. But, uh, so you you knew him back then. That's y'all were together doing that. You know, I, I he was he was on the on the yeah. I mean, I, I've probably you know interacted with Tony cool. for for I don't know twenty god twenty odd years, twenty five years. Wow, that's, that's uh, awesome. But you know, to to the point where you know much more of just you know here we'll post about a thing. He'll post about a thing. I you know I, I just a first conversation I ever had with him was for the pod that I did a you know a couple uh, with him uh, a couple of months ago. But had sort of the, but he was. We were all in the the, the circle of the kind of, of, of doing this. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, sure, you can sure. tell that you can definitely, if you watch AEW and you have that kind of, uh, you know, if you're the an obsessive wrestling freak like me, you know, you kind of know. Oh, he's doing. I get that mid south reference in this match. I can see what the. I can see the. You know, they're doing a little bit. Uh, you know, CM, CM Punk yeah. and, and Darby Allen are doing a little Bret Hart one two three kid uh, kind of thing. Very, you know? very. He loves it. I, I do too, and I've learned that about him. Well, that's you know, obviously wrestling's got this sort of long storied history, and you know, one of the cool things about it is you can reference things that go back. You know, that long AEW does, AEW's got Art Anderson and Tully Blanchard cutting promos on each other based on a tag team that they had. You know. Uh, it's 35 years ago. <laughs> it is amazing. It really is. I mean, what, I mean, he loves it. You, you know, you do too. It's like, you, you tell normal people like this and they're just like, what are you talking about? I mean, the, the, the love for pro wrestling here is, is crazy and it's so wonderful, man. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, at some point, Art's gonna punch Tully, and it's gonna be like it's gonna the crowd. The crowd will know it, realize it, and go insane, right? And you know that this. Do you remember that match with Dad and Tully, the first blood match? Oh with my god! The, uh, I think it was in Charlotte, and uh, Tully. I think Baby Doll handed him a roll of quarters. Do you remember that? Yes, sure, of course. Those the, the Tully yeah. Dusty matches were incredible. Yeah, and it was like, I remember that one a lot because I was there, and, but I was, you know, in a junior high, and I was just like, man, this is incredible. So many nights just watching him was were awesome. I was really, not not anybody knows this, but like early on in, you know, Florida Championship Wrestling, he took me to the Eddie Graham Sports, uh, sports Auditorium or Sports Arena, and I remember it, and it was a very iconic place. It's not there anymore, but um, he was wrestling. I was probably 12 years old. He was wrestling the spoiler number one. And I was sitting back in the back by the ring and the microphone, the ring, um, bell, Gordon Sully and a microphone. And I'm watching the spoiler beat up my dad. Right. And my dad's bleeding and I was scared to death. I mean, I'd seen it before, but I was there in person and I was really scared of the spoiler. Right. And I saw dad walk back to the dressing room. I was looking at him like, is he okay? And he looks at me and he winks at me and he goes in the dressing room and, you know, just to talk with him about it on the, on the drive home that night. Right. Just a little bit. It was like, it's very cool. And I remember those moments when he took me on the road like that was, were pretty, pretty cool and very special. Were your first matches, uh, tag teaming with your dad? I know that you, you had re- wrestled some. I know that was like the W W. Your first stuff in the WWF when when he was feuding with Ted DiBiase. But obviously, you, you wrestled in Florida before that. Were you initially coming in as a tag partner, or were you wrestling sort of undercard stuff and building up to that? Uh, say that one more time. I know the first tag match we had, me and Dad, was the one we had with Ted DiBiase and Virgil. Okay, so there wasn't, you didn't wrestle with him in Florida before that, because you had been wrestling for a while before you had come to the WWF, right? You had you had been in... A, a couple, couple years. A couple years. But you were, but that but wasn't only, with your, the, for, so your first one with your dad was this pretty big uh, pay-per-view match in the WWF then. Uh, yes, yeah. It kind of, what right, because you, you, you know, in Memphis, I know you, I, I've seen... Some of the footage for that stuff, it's it's some of it's available, some of it isn't. There's a little floor of Florida for that period available, some Memphis from that period available, but not a ton. Um, right. So initially, you were you came in and it was you were just sort of 
you know, on your own a little bit. It wasn't like immediately uh, teaming with your dad. That kind of came a little later. No, dad, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know this either, but we lived in, in Texas outside of Dallas and dad knew that I was wanting to break in the business. And, uh, you know, I had scholarship offers to go play football and all that, but my grades just weren't there and my heart wasn't into schooling. Right. And it was more into pro wrestling. So I picked him up one day from the D, uh, DFW Dallas Fort, Fort Worth airport and was driving back about 45 minutes to his house. And he broke me into the business right there. And, you know, and I'm 19 or 18 at this point. I was 18. He's like, I knew all this stuff or most of it, but he finally just told me, right? I dare not say anything to his face, you know, in years before that, but he kind of broke it into me. He said, Dustin, you're going to drive to Amarillo tomorrow night. I need you to go get a referee shirt and some pants and you're going to referee a couple of matches. And, you know, he just kind of he broke it down to me. And then after that, he's like, and uh, I'm going to send you down to Skandar Akbar in downtown Dallas. And you're going to see if you want this business or not. So I went and did this refereeing bout in Amarillo, Texas, while he took the private jet, right? So I'm paying my dues in this way. When I'm driving six hours and he pays me a couple hundred dollars or whatever, and then I got to drive back home. But I refereed two matches and I split my pants that night because I, I didn't know what to buy but I bought cotton pants and I was in a, a, a tag match with rock and roll express and midnight express. And I went down for the count and Tommy young is sitting on the front row to make sure I didn't fuck up. And I come up and I'm raising the hands and the whole building's laughing at me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, messed up. I did something right. And Tommy's look, I look down at Tommy. He points down to my crotch and I had ripped from the belt all the way to the belt in the back and everything was just hanging out. So I was like, oh my God. So that's my kind of initiation break into the business. But then I went down to, it was, it was awesome, right? I was so embarrassed. The whole, you know, there was curtains. They were all at the curtain in the back and laughing their ass off. And they were like, welcome to business, kid. And this and that. I'm just embarrassed. I'm a young kid. I'm just like, holy shit. He sent me to Skandar Akbar's place in Dallas. And Skandar had a boxing ring in the back of this old gym, this hole in the wall, no ropes. It was on cinder box. And my first day of practice, he said, Dustin, take 10 bumps, 10 back bumps. And so I took 10 back bumps and it, it was so hard. It was so hard. I didn't complain. I got up and did it. And then I rolled around with him for about four months with him. Miss Texas, Jackie Moore. Do you remember her? We oh, broke of course. in together. Miss Texas, one of the greats. And these two other guys, I'm not sure their names. I can't remember, but we just did mat wrestling, right? We just did a bunch of chaining and really just amateur wrestling. And then dad sent me to Tampa. And I learned my wrestling trade really from my grandma, Steve Kern. And that's where I learned. And, you know, we were working every night. So that's how I learned. But my first match was with Bob Cook in Palatka, Florida, in front of 12 people in the armory. And I got $20 that night, right? And I sold a couple five-by-seven pictures. So I think I made around 40 bucks in cash. But I was working with bad Bob Cook, and I hadn't learned how to hit the ropes yet. And he shot me into the ropes the first time, and I had my arm down. You're always supposed to lift your arm up to grab that top rope as you're hitting them. And it almost snapped my neck. And I'm like, I never did that again. I was embarrassed. But that was my first taste. I was so nervous. But Bob, you know, he kept it very basic, the things that I had been taught from my gram leading up to this point. And it was just so much fun. I fell in love, man. I, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted was to be like my father, you know, and, and live that dream of becoming a pro wrestler and, and you know, Dusty's son, not knowing just how hard it was going to be as Dusty's son, um, trying to fill his shoes, which is impossible. But I, I, I tried that for so many years, right? Not knowing because I was young and stupid and I didn't know any better. And finally, you know, the gold dust thing happened and I kind of stepped out of trying to fill his shoes and, and filled my own and did something on my own. So I was very proud of that. 
Um, and then the rest is history, man. So it's it's been a long story career, uh, a very caring, loving, wonderful career. And I wouldn't take anything back. I wouldn't. I'm, I have no regrets. So you know, I can't get any better than that, right? Sure. I mean, if if you can if you can look back on your life and and say I'm happy with where I came, the mistakes I've made, and the things I've done, and the triumphs and the and the tragedies, and feel like you're in a good place. I mean, that, what more could you ask for? Uh, well, for sure. I mean, you look at all the mistakes that people make, right? And I, I attribute them. Uh, to, you know, those are lessons and every one of those mistakes I've had in the, in my past have been my teachers and I've, I've learned from them and, you know, the, you get a little older, you get a little wiser and, you know, you look back now and you see all these young kids coming in, they were where you were. And it's like, now I need to guide them. I need to spread my knowledge to these kids so that they understand that they stay out of trouble that they keep their nose clean, that they work their asses off and do their job, have the proper attitude, dress great, wrestling etiquette, you know, the whole nine yards, everything. And they do it from top to bottom because that's what's going to make them a superstar. If they can grab hold of that early, they're going to be okay. So that's all I can ask for. And then when you teach the kids something and they do it and they pull it off, that's the payoff for me now. You know, when they when they accomplish something that you taught them, it's pretty cool. And it may, it's, a, it's an emotional moment that I have when they do that because it's like, wow, I taught them that. They did it good. They understand why they did it. So that's a payoff to me. You know, the money is great, but it's like that's not happiness. So it, it's uh, at this at this stage in my, my career, that's what I'm kind of doing right now is kind of helping these kids along and getting them to where they need to be. And it's, it's impressive when they pull it off, you know? And it's like, you know, Skandor Akbar and Steve Kern and Mike Graham and Bob Cook, they all taught you. And then you sort of pass along what you've learned to, to, you know, uh, powerhouse Hobbs and, and Ricky, sorry, and all the sort of next generation of AEW guys. And I, and I know that you have a, a school, right? Let's, uh, we can uh, plug that. Um, yeah, I've been in business a year. We've had three very successful camps. I do 12 week camps and then I have a month off in between each camp right now because I'm still working at AEW and it's, it's very busy. Um, three camps I've had my students go, you know, and perform on AEW dark and elevation and it's done very well. So I'm very pleased with that. So there's a a success story for these kids and, they're learning in this last camp I just had, I, you know, this student came from, he's a real good looking kid, really good looking kid, 18 years old. And after six weeks, man, he turned a corner and he just got it like nobody's business. And I'm like, holy shit, this kid is really a natural athlete gifted. I need to mold him. And thank God he lives here so that he can train with me more. And then I can get, get him some opportunities, hopefully, in the future. So my wrestling school is um, Rhodes Wrestling Academy. It's in Leander, Texas. And if you want to look it up and apply, it's RhodesWrestlingAcademy.com. And you've had, so you've had some shows, and those shows are on YouTube, right? For folks that so want to... I've had three, three showcases. You know, at the end of each camp, we have a, a student showcase, and they look forward to it, and they work really hard over those 12 weeks. And I try to book those things and direct them to make them look uh, as best as possible. But I think they do a really good job of listening. And I teach, from day one, I teach safety and I teach a team type of tradition where, you know, hey, guys, if somebody falls down, let's help them. We, we're all in this together. So it's a, it's a lot of teamwork with my camps. And regardless if, that you know, I have some students that have wrestled for three years or whatever and somebody who is brand new, I don't, you know, I don't uh, not stop. I show these kids and, and they're, they, they're all understandable. They, they understand and are willing to help in any way possible. So it's, it's a very team-driven camp that I run, and I love that. And they're very safe. They learn the basics. They learn how to do things the right way, storytelling I teach, and, and character development and things like that. It's it's very impressive. My wife, she teaches a trademarking class, and 
and uh, financial class and, you know, contract class. We do a lot of nutrition stuff, a lot of things that really prepare these kids early so that they don't, you know, get into a situation where they're, you know, owing a lot of taxes and things like that later on in their career where they save their money and they do right and they do it the professional way. Because it's important. I wasn't taught that when I was early in the business. I didn't have any idea, right? If I had one dollar, I spent two, and I didn't give a shit. I was having the time of my life. But man, if I would have known what I know now, my God! <laughs> right? If you put if you put a little bit in a in a in a Roth IRA instead of necessarily at the at the at the bar, or the club, who knows? Look, you know, like we we yeah. said, all, every step in our lives is a, a step towards the end of the journey. So. Uh, I think yeah. that's a good way to look at it. Uh, well, uh, Dust Rhodes, like this has been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I think uh, in some ways, uh, all all of the things that I've been doing as a writer and a podcast, or whatever, some ways leading up to this. So I really appreciate you coming on uh, to the pod. Um, people should check out the showcase. Check out the uh, the wrestling academy. Certainly, if wrestling is something you're thinking about. Uh, trying to take a swing at, I can't imagine a better place for and a better person to learn for. And I guess we should be continuing to watch AEW. You don't have any matches. Do you have any matches scheduled coming up that we should know about? Right now, no, not this uh, second. But I have something in the works that you should probably be seeing here in the next few weeks. All right, we'll keep keep an eye on uh, AEW for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Dustin Rose, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Thanks, bud. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blade.